And why do they sound like they're a 13-year-old kid? I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to use Aaron Rodgers. I'm not going to answer that. Even if I knew the answer, I'm not telling you. Our question of the day. What will be the biggest in-game difference this year? This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. He is Matt Bushman of the Kansas City Chiefs. Hey! Welcome to Studio B, Matt. Congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Hey, wild ride for you. Oh, my gosh. uh, We learned a little bit more about it from your father-in-law, Chad Lewis, Mm -hmm. as he talked about your rejoining of the Kansas City Chiefs and, and what that meant for you and your wife, Emily, and now... All of a sudden, you have a Super Bowl ring as a member of the practice squad. What's the last month and a half been like for you? Yeah, it's been wild. I mean, when I was on the injury settlement back here in Utah, my agents were like, shoot, I don't know if the Chiefs are going to sign you back. It's not very common to get signed back this late in the year. So I was like, man, if they win the Super Bowl, I'm going to be sick. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But luckily, things just kind of escalated. They They called me one day and said, hey, we have a flight for you to come back to Kansas City. And hopped on the flight, joined the team. So I'm uh, yeah, super grateful I could rejoin and have a job again and win a Super Bowl. So it would have been enough just to be back on the Chiefs, right? Um, but obviously the Chiefs are awesome. Andy's awesome, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelly, everybody's awesome. So you guys end up going through this playoff run. Meanwhile, you're kind of on standby, right? Like if there's an injury or something, like you could, you could dress and be available. So you've you got, you got to stay in shape, you got to know the plays and so on. What was that process like of being ready just in case? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, since I did training camp, you go through every play, every scenario. So I had known the playbook. So when I got back, the coaches knew that I had that experience. So yeah, I was one of the guys that was, shoot, if something happens, you have to be ready. Um, Travis, the like two days before the AFC Championship, had a little scare where you had a little back injury. So I was like, oh my gosh, this, is this going to happen? But he was going to play no matter what. We all kind of knew that. Um, but yeah, you just kind of have to have a mindset like I can't coast through the postseason and just kind of hang out. I have to I have to study the playbook. I have to know the game plan because if something happens, it can be up to an hour before the game. They can say it's that late. Yeah. Wow. So. So are you like warming up and stretching as if you might play just in case? Usually in that situation, you'll kind of have a heads up like mm. somebody's banged up. Be ready. Um, sometimes you just kind of are in the locker room hanging out. Uh, but yeah, if it was something like that, I would have been. You could expedite that? Yeah, I'd be working out, trying to stay warm, knowing what was going to happen. What's the typical relationship like for a practice player with the active roster on game day and especially through the playoffs and late in the playoffs? Like, where are you? What's your role? How close are you with the team? Walk us through all of that if you don't mind. Um, I mean, in my point of view, I'd say it's pretty f- fluid with the active roster and practice squad. We're all in the locker room together. All in meetings, every every meeting, every single day, you're you're in the room with them. So, I would like to think that I'm still part of the, you know part of the almost equal to the active roster. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I have good relationships with those all those guys because yeah, you're you're battling with them, going going to practice with them, trying to give them a good look. So I was trying to be Dallas Goddard, try and get the defense prepared. You know have them ready for whatever could happen come game day. And yeah, so I would say the biggest thing is just the pay scale. Other than that, you're doing pretty much everything. What was Super Bowl uh, game day like for you? 
Where are you? What are you doing? I, you know, I went to a little sacrament meeting Sunday morning with some of the BYU guys. We had some family members that were all in town, so that was cool. Um, and then you just have a little bit of time off. You bus over to the stadium super early. So I was just like, I'm going to get there on the early bus, kind of soak in the whole, the whole atmosphere. So I was just sitting on one of the benches, throwing a ball around, uh, just enjoying it. And then when the game actually started, we were just on the sideline trying to, trying to bring positive energy and get the guys, show the guys some support while they're, while they're playing. There's no other school uh, in the country that would have had what you just said, which is the sacrament meeting in the morning. Yeah, it's That's true. pretty cool, it's man. It's pretty unique. Yeah. There's always like a, the night before, like a little a Catholic mass or a little mm -hmm. a pastor that will come, come speak to us. But yeah, definitely. Like a non-denominational kind yeah. of Christian yeah. thing. Yeah, like the team chaplain or something gotcha. like that. But very unique awesome. to have BYU, so a good amount of BYU guys there to have a little sacrament meeting. Hey, like Zane, of course, and Andy are BYU connected. Is there someone else? Uh, Porter Ellett, maybe? Porter is Ellett was there? there. And uh, Alex Whittingham. Oh, yeah. Kyle Whittingham's son. Gotcha. He has a, what does he do with? He has a similar role as Porter. Gotcha. He's like a assistant coach yeah. type thing. Very cool. That's Matt awesome. Bushman is with us on BYU Sports Nation. We're talking Super Bowl conversation and Super Bowl Sunday. When the game is happening, where are you? Are you, are you in a seat? Are you on the sideline? Walk, walk us through what you, you're seeing during the actual game. I'm just walking back and forth on the sideline, trying to get a, trying to get a good view, trying to hear the play when the offense is on the, on the field. So stand next to the quarterbacks or the tight ends coach or some of the backup quarterbacks that have a little earpiece to hear the play. Um, and yeah, just try to rally, rally the forces when things are going well or not so well. Sure. Remind me, did you play a game in that stadium? Because I'm thinking about your BYU timeline. I know the Cougars played in that stadium, but you might have been you on your mission. I was on my mission Because 2018 time. was actually in Tucson, hometown yep. for you, which is yep. cool. But not 2016, Kalani's first game, you were on your mission. Yeah. Yeah, so that you was missed a, that stadium, I guess. Right? Missed that stadium. Did you ever play in it growing up? I never. High school or anything? I, we never made it to the state championship, so I never played in it. You're, it's going to be all right. You just won a Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> um, at, at halftime, are you in the locker room the whole time, or do you get to watch the Rihanna halftime show? <laughs> no, couldn't watch the Rihanna halftime show. A lot of guys were like, we're not playing. Let's go watch. But <laughs> It's so long, right? Yeah, like, you're in there for like half an hour. Yeah, but Coach Reed. I'm, maybe some of you guys saw what uh, Mahomes was saying, but Coach Reed was like, if any of you guys are watching the halftime show, just keep on walking because you're not, you're not coming back here. He wasn't about it. Yeah. Okay. He was a lot more focused on actually winning. Yes. Instead of and at the time, there's some real concern there. And, and kind of walk us through the vibe on the sideline in the locker room of, hey, gosh, we got we to gotta do something different. And certainly the Chiefs did in the second half. Yeah, I mean, I think ev everyone saw the Eagles were playing so well in the first half, and they were keeping our offense off the field. So we couldn't really work our magic and do a lot of things. So, yeah, it was a, it was a little tense going into halftime, but our leaders spoke up. Um, Pat Mahomes, Travis, they were all saying that we need to lock it in and, and play a lot better. So, yeah, that happened second half, and they, they were definitely the, the leaders that did that. Did you lift the Lombardi trophy at any point? I did, yeah, and the locker room got to hold it on the airplane back to Kansas City, gotta gotta take a couple pictures. So, yeah, that was surreal and then just awesome to to actually be able to to hold that trophy. How heavy is it? Um, not as heavy as you'd think, like a something that big and solid, but it's still still dense and it's got <laughs> it's got it, its power with it. Travis Kelsey is one of the best tight ends ever. He might be the best ever. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some who think that. 
What's he like? Um, it, because he seems like he's a super fun dude, but also obviously super competitive. Yeah, he's kind of that. He's a great mentor to all of us younger guys. He doesn't show like, oh, you're trying to take my spot. Like he's established a spot and it's never gonna get taken. Um, so he's super cool in teaching every, all of his, the ins and outs of what he's thinking. Um, he's definitely like the class clown where his tight ends coach <laughs> has been with Coach Reed for like 20 years, but Travis has been with them for 10 years. So it's like, you can only give him so many coaching points and when he's the best tight end of the league, it's like, so in, in meetings, he's just the, the jokester, kind of making fun of himself if he messes up or, yeah, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't get many coaching points. It's mainly directed to us younger guys that are uh, trying to be at his level. So it's definitely funny having him in, in meetings where he's just no stress, <laughs> making fun of everything. It's, <laughs> it's funny. Super Bowl champion Matt Bushman is on BYU Sports Nation. Where do you sit on the depth chart right now with the Chiefs, and how do you see your role evolving into the next season? Yeah, so I signed a futures deal. We had a little exit interviews, physicals on Tuesday, and then they gave me the futures deal. So that just signs my rights to the Chiefs in the offseason for OTAs and training camp. So the depth chart's always fluid at this time and can change. So we'll see how, how I'm looking during OTAs and if they draft anyone or if they keep if they re-sign everyone, all that can change and it's unknown at this time. So I'll just prepare and you know try to be a guy next year. Because it was crazy because you had this, uh, maybe the craziest day of your life where you score two touchdowns and then you break your collarbone in such a way that you're out for a long time, like 12 weeks we were talking before the interview. That was wild. And then you get back, they sign you, which isn't common like you talked about, and then the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. What was the range of emotions you had this season with the Chiefs? Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, training camp and like the preseason games are probably the hardest part of the season just because you're practicing every day. Um, and it's stressful. People are getting cut left and right. You don't know what's going to happen. So to be able to finish the preseason, I had a banged up knee at the time too, and I was kind of fighting through that injury. So to be able to finish the preseason like that and to get some opportunities, some balls thrown my way and to score, I was just loving it. Like, man, this is, this is going to be awesome. I was just like, Heavenly Father, whatever happens, let it happen. Like, I don't know. At that point, my still is, my NFL career is pretty unknown. So it's just like, I'm going to trust your plan and maybe I'll, maybe I'll be in the league, maybe I'll, maybe I'll be out. So to score those touchdowns, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty valuable to have the other teams be able to see that you can score in the NFL or, you know, catch the ball. It's kind of silly, but that adds a lot of weight going into the actual season. So... Yeah, I was like, okay, if I'm not with this team, maybe another team will scoop me up. And then got hurt. And then that kind of all just, they see how long of a injury settlement, 12 weeks, that's most of the season. No team really knows if they want to sign you back, especially to the active roster for being out that long. So yeah, then the, you're just like, man, am I even going to be in the NFL for the rest of this season or if they're going to sign me back? I did a little tryout. A week, a few days before signing back with the Chiefs, did a tryout for the Browns. Just flew out there in less than 24 hours. Did good, but they didn't sign me. And then that next, that was on a Friday. Then that next Monday, the Chiefs called. So what a wild yeah. ride! Yeah, it's uh, a lot. You still of, love me? Yeah, I'm like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be in Cleveland for the postseason because they weren't they weren't projected to right. Sure. Make the playoffs. So I was like, man, it'd be sweet to go to a playoff team. Oh, if least. you're hitching your wagon to any team, it would have been Kansas City, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Given the experience, given the success. For sure. Given Andy, given Zane, given yeah. all these guys. So right? just knowing yeah. that they were going to have a deep playoff run, I was like, man, I'd love to go sign back there.
Does the practice squad get the playoff bonus too? You just get the, uh, the practice squad check. So <laughs> unfortunately, next you year. Don't get that. Next year. You just get the experience. Just get some photos with the trophy. Yep. Which is pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. What was the experience like with your family on the field after the game in the peak of the celebrations in Arizona? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, they only gave the practice squad guys one field pass, so Emily was there with me. Um, yeah, it was just so cool to see how happy everyone was, especially the guys playing. Guys that have been playing 10-plus years, never had a ring. Like, they're just – that's the peak moment for them. So it was super awesome to be able to celebrate with Emily, knowing that we've had those unknowns going on throughout the year and just to celebrate the biggest win in football to be world champs. It was, it was awesome. And then to also have my family, they were able to go down to like the front row and take pictures with them and celebrate with them too. It was, it was a lot of fun. What a fun dinner conversation with Chad now you can have, right? Yeah. And, and interesting experiences in that he gets hurt and doesn't get a play in the Super Bowl. You're on the practice squad, you're right there, not playing, but like you have an experience where, yes, we're on teams that are in the Super Bowl. Definitely. Um, and and uh, fortunately, you win one, which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. I just need to actually play and get a ring. That's the next step, right? That's pretty cool. Have some uh, bragging rights with him. But like two months ago, you, or whatever, when did you sign? Was it like two or it three months ago? It uh, was like, yeah, right before, like mid-December probably. Okay. Two months ago, you're not thinking, yeah, I'm going to be winning a Super Bowl here. Yeah. You know, just a crazy uh, turn of events. Here yeah, definitely. Awesome. Now, you had a superlative, incredible BYU career. And... You were a polished player, but everybody talks about going to the NFL and going to the next level in skill set. So how are you a different player and a better player now than you were when you left BYU, which was a good level football player? Yeah, I'd say I actually play special teams. Like in college, there's sometimes I should have done it more in college just to gain the experience. Um, Sometimes the coaches want some of the – starting college players not to do special teams just I don't know some coaches don't want you to play some do so I wish I would have had more of that experience going into the NFL because that's pretty much all the number three number four tight end that's like pretty much all you're doing is mainly special teams reps so that was different um just becoming a better blocker football IQ like Travis his football IQ being a quarterback being with coach Reed for 10 years He's not just worrying about his job. He's worrying about everyone around him. If he knows he's not the first read, he'll get in front of a guy, slow down his release, and get other guys open while he's still getting wide open. So, yeah, just learning those different things. So the game slows down for you, and I'm just trying to, mm. trying to do that more and more to be, a, be an option. I don't know when the Chiefs' bye week is next season. And I'm just projecting you're going to make the roster because we send good vibes here. That's what we feel. We feel this, yeah. And there will be a Thursday night game, which opens up a Saturday as well. So I think there will be two opportunities for you to watch BYU in the Big 12 and probably close to home because they'll be playing largely in the Midwest. Yeah. So, Matt, let's let's, let's make that happen. Let's Let's get you to a BYU in the Big 12 game. Let's do it. Even (laughs) Pat Mahomes was saying if – if it falls on the bye week when Texas Tech plays in Provo, he's going to fly down here too. So Nice. we got to hope – that happens. Let's go. Let's go. Let's hope that lines up. Well, congratulations on still having uh, some of the best hair in the league, by the way. (laughs) So good. It's still great. Good to see it, Matt. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Pretty cool. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. 
Sports Training presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. This topic based on a couple of metrics that uh, don't exactly favor BYU very well, but it's brought up a big question, Greg, and that is based on BYU men's basketball uh, being last in net and in the Ken Pomeroy ratings of all 14 Big 12 teams going into next season. These are current numbers. Let's note. BYU is still a top 100 team in both. Yes. But the Big 12 is so good, and the incoming teams are so good, that even as a top 100 team, you're still at the very bottom of the list. Wild. And we're going to have Bill Connolly, ESPN uh, College Football Insider, on the show today. He released his SP Plus projections, BYU number 62 in that latest rundown. Mm -hmm. That's also last of all 14 Big 12 teams going into next college football season. Proving again depth of league. They're moving into a really strong situation. Yes, and 62 – in the grand scheme of college football, not terrible Middle when there the are pack. over 130 college Middle football teams right. at Division I FBS level. So, with those numbers in mind, do we expect BYU to be picked to finish last in the Big 12 next year in both football and men's basketball? You know, I, I, I think that there might be a deep enough dive made by all those who do, these, do the rankings to find a way to put BYU somewhere other than 14th next year in football. Um, you bring in a, a, a quarterback with a lot of P5 reps. Uh, you bring back, you, you bring in good running backs and Aiden Robbins and, and LJ Martin. Yeah. You bring back wide receivers and Cody Epps and Keanu Hill and Chase Roberts. Offensive line does have some spaces to fill and some, and some shoes to fill, there's sure. no doubt. There has to be some things down there. But uh, Jay Hill revamps a BYU defense. And I, I think there will be enough reasons to, 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 to determine that BYU may not be that 14th team. In, in fact, I, I, I kind of expect BYU to be mm -hmm. contending for middle of the pack in the Big 12 immediately in, in football. So I think it's less likely that football ends up there than, than basketball because of the depth of the basketball talent right now. Um, I, I, I think BYU makes a, a quicker rise perhaps in football. But basketball, if you take the, you know, the current numbers, there's a bit of a gap there between you know, the bottom uh, let's say 13th and 14th with BYU backing up 14. And who knows, Mark Pope in the offseason could, um, could, could bring in the kind of talent that, uh, that moves BYU up the chart more than we think right now. But, yeah, I think as of right now, you're probably looking at BYU uh, as kind of a lower-tier team in basketball, if not 14th right now. Now, I know SP+, Plus, as far as it pertains to football, is only one metric. And BYU started last season... Last February, they were number 23, yeah. coming off of a 10-3 and season. They had a ton of returning pr production. They were number one in the entire country in terms of returning production on offense. It didn't pan out because of injuries and, I mean, ad nauseum, all of the reasons that we have laid out why BYU only won eight games. Still, eight and five, were four and five at one point, made a nice push. BYU finishes 70th. So they started 23rd, finished 70th. Mm -hmm. They dropped 47 spots. Bill Connolly actually has them up eight spots from where they finished to number 62. And also, for what it's worth, BYU ranked in the current SP Plus numbers last in offense and defense of all of the competing Big 12 teams. That said, I do not expect BYU football to be picked to finish last. I'm yeah. probably anticipating somewhere between 10 and 12. Maybe higher. I don't know. I, I, again, I don't, it depends on how deep of a dive you take and how much yeah. stock you put into Keaton Slovis coming over right. and what he's capable of right. uh, based on what he did at USC and Pittsburgh. Like it's, we're, we're all projecting, but I would imagine somewhere between 10 and 12. The basketball side, however, I would not be shocked to see BYU pick to finish dead last because that conference yeah. is just it, so dominant. It's a 10-team league right now, right? And they're not really close to team number 10. 
You bring in uh, Houston, who's the number one team in the country. <laughs> and then Cincinnati, and of course, Cincinnati and UCF would, would appear to be, you know, the next best competition for BYU to avoid that seller spot right now. And, and I think it ultimately will come down to, you know, which of those three teams is judged one, two, three among the newcomers. Houston will be up uh, higher. And of course, the remaining 10, there's no reason to drop them you know, considerably lower than where they're going to be this year. So I think you have the three newcomers kind of battling to see who's going to be that, that 12, 13, 14 sp uh, spot in, uh, in year one. It's not always terrible to have low expectations. Like, or, I, or, or, even low, or even just low projections, because yeah, the expectations okay will be higher. The, I mean, be, let's, but the outside expectations might be low. The internal expectations will be higher. Um, and I always go back to, to when I began this gig at basketball play-by-play. Uh, my first year was 1996-97, splitting duties with Paul James at the time. And that was BYU's 1-25 in year. Oh, man. So really came in on the ground floor uh, on that one. Okay. So <laughs> Victory over Utah yeah, State, though. Been at the bottom. And then the next year, uh, first year of the Steve Cleveland era, yeah. BYU was, uh, it was a nine-win season, trying to build their way up. Uh, and, and so they've, they've been at the bottom before. And, and there was really something exhilarating about the climb. You know, and, and back in the day, the climb was incremental. The first one was, can you qualify for your conference tournament? Because back in the day, not every not every team made the conference tournament, Whack Mountain West. And, and so can you can you make your tournament? You know, then can you win a game in your tournament? Then can you win two games in your tournament? Then can you play for your tournament championship? Can you win your tournament championship? Then in the overall league, can you, you know, how high can you get? And then you get regular season titles. And so it was this incremental, when do you get back to the NIT? When do you get back to the NCAAs? It was step by step. And I was with them every step of the way, every year, kind of checking off a new box. And there was something really rewarding and exhilarating about the climb. And that's where BYU is going to be. And basketball in particular is climbing. You know, um, and it'll be about, you know, can you win a game in Kansas City in your conference tournament? Can you play in the postseason, in the NIT? When do you get to the middle of the pack and find yourself on the bubble or playing in the NCAA tournament? Yeah. Whether or not you contend for a championship, and that's the toughest league to win, right? It may not necessarily be about contending for a championship. Can you get to the middle of the pack in the heart of that league to where you're NCAA tournament worthy? But I think year over year, bit by bit, it's going to be those checking in the boxes. Tournament wins in Kansas City, NIT appearance, NCAA appearance. Yeah. It, it is very, um, it's rewarding. Yeah, the know? build was fun. And the, the time period that you're referencing, 96 to 01, was a wild ride, but it, a, lo a lot of fun. It was a grind. It was a five, six-year grind to where, yeah, in 2001, they're back in the NCAA tournament, where, where, where it really matters, right? And they won the Mountain West Conference Tournament Championship. The last one BYU's won, by the way. It's oh, been man. 22 years, which we'll get to in Vegas here in a bit. But it's a really cool thing. And again, the Big 12 is so good, so good, that you may not be aspiring for that Kansas level. But... You can be a middle-of-the-pack team in the Big 12 and be one of the best teams in the country. Of course, you'll aspire for higher, but the standards might change a little bit. Yeah, certainly. Maybe checking the box in year one for BYU is not finishing last in the Big 12. I'm dead serious. Really? Like That, yeah. that, that could be the box that you check, and yeah. you just go from there. And, right? if you end, and if you end up one of those early games in Kansas City, can you get to day two? Yeah. You know, and you go step by step. Fantastic. And, and it could be the rise is a lot quicker than we're presuming. It could be that there, you know, things surprise you all the time in the world of sports. Maybe it happens faster than expected, but you are running into the, the gauntlet of all gauntlets in college basketball. BYU trying to close out their West Coast Conference finale here before they move to the Big 12 with something positive. And right now, it's downright tough. I mean, you've lost four games in a row. You're going to finish with a losing record in WCC play. Best you can do there is seven and nine, and the best I think, based on tiebreakers, which are convoluted in the WCC, is finish in fifth. As of today, fifth to eighth is the window. It just yeah. depends on how things shake out. So, Greg, my question for you is: 
Why does this week matter so much for BYU men's basketball when uh, maybe a good deal of the fan base is kind of like, ah, let's just get on to the Big 12. Why well, does think, it matter? I think there's a belief that, that BYU will go to Vegas thinking it can beat every team it will face, um, just as every team could beat BYU. The Cougs have lost to Pepperdine this year. But you want to give yourself maybe as few games as possible to have to play to get to that point. So if you can avoid the Thursday game, at all costs. That's what you got to do. For that to happen, a couple things have to happen. Okay. Um, now, if if the favorites win on Thursday, this is a four-game Thursday. BYU's not playing. LMU's not playing. Right. If just the favorites win, that would mean St. Mary's beats Pacific. That would mean Santa Clara beats Pepperdine. That would mean Gonzaga beats San Diego, and USF beats Portland. And USF's at home, and St. Mary's is at home. Santa Clara's at home. Gonzaga's at home. So they're all the favored teams and their home. If they all win, it sets up to be pretty simple. If BYU wins on Saturday against San Francisco, they avoid the seventh seed, they avoid Thursday, and they get into the Friday play as five or six. If BYU loses to San Francisco on Saturday, they would need Portland to win at Pacific on the final day to avoid the bottom uh, four and a, fir- and a first-round game on wow. Thursday. BYU is going to win tie breaks against Pacific and San Francisco and Portland okay. at this point. Uh, unless they were to lose to San Francisco, of course, which would be a sweep that would be head-to-head for San Francisco. Um, so, yeah, it, they, they shouldn't play on Saturday, rather, they shouldn't play on Thursday in Vegas as long as they can take care of a business this Saturday. Just beat San Francisco on Saturday. Pretty much. Okay, first and foremost. And some weird things can happen on Thursday yes. which change things, but if the favorites hold, that's what you're looking at. So I've been saying for a few weeks now, if BYU can just somehow work their way into the number five seed, and, and I know like things, the chips have to fall in a very, very favorable way, including beating San Francisco, but if they could be that five seed, I like the matchup with LMU as the four seed yep. that is potentially pending on Saturday. Of course, then you're probably taking on Portland or San Diego on Friday. Right, and you're not playing Pepperdine. And you're not playing Pepperdine. Okay, so, so, I, I think if you, if, you, if you fall to the six or the seven, certainly if you fall to the seven, there's a good chance you're seeing Pepperdine on night one. And Pepperdine already knows they can beat BYU. Yeah. That happened, right? And, 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 they're a, and they're a better team than their record. That, that's a cliche, but they really shouldn't be where they are with as, as much talent as they have. And even the six, you're in that, you're in that six, seven hole, same thing. If you can get to the five, um, you, you avoid a, a Pepperdine game, which I think Pepperdine could get out of round one. I think they could beat the seven in round one. Yeah. Whoever the, I, whoever I mean, the seven is. Good grief. I'd almost rather that BYU finish eighth than seventh so that you can have a matchup with. I don't, I don't want to go that low. <laughs> 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 I just. It's about matchups. Let's hope for five. It's Let's, about matchups in March. Right, right. And I like, we're talking ideal scenario. Right. BYU could just climb to number five and then take on San Diego Portland, like both those matchups. And then I think they match up okay with LMU. And then you're through the weekend and you're into Monday and let's see what happens. And wouldn't it be something? Because as much of a grind as it has been for BYU in the conference tournament, you know, in the year where they're maybe dipping a little more than you'd expect, maybe this is the year that that magical run happens and they find themselves in a place they haven't been in a while. Again, it's been 22 years since BYU won a conference tournament championship. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. Uh, And because it would make no sense, it probably would make perfect sense. (laughs) In this of all years. That just seems, seems to have sports work sometimes. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Cougar Whip Round presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Start us off, Greg. All right, Santa Clara's Brandon Pajemski wins WCC Player of the Week and St. Mary's Aiden Mahaney won WCC Freshman of the Week for this past week. And unfortunately, the Cougars were, as they say, witnesses. Uh, Both guys (laughs) 
Pajemski and Mahaney had great games against BYU. I'm so glad that BYU could help out in that regard, Greg. It's just wonderful, which brings up an even bigger question based on what you just presented. With BYU yet to win a West Coast Conference Player of the Week award in men's basketball at any point this season, how does this relate to BYU's struggles this season? Well, there's not no correlation. Um, 11 of the 15 WCC Player of the Week awards this year have gone to the teams in the top four. Okay, so the best teams are the teams with the best players yeah. having the best weeks. So there's not no correlation. Uh, BYU and San Francisco, interestingly. BYU and USF, the two teams picked to finish third behind. Gonzaga and St. Mary's, they're the only two teams without a WCC Player of the Week this year. Well. And they are now lower than they were expected to be. So, again, this isn't the be-all and end-all. I mean, there are a lot of great players. You can only award one in any, any given week. But the fact that BYU's been dry in this award is kind of emblematic of where BYU sits in the league this year. You need more standouts from your best players to have great weeks, and great weeks mean multiple wins per weekend, and BYU's had some winless weekends and a split decision week. So it's just kind of all part of the package right yeah. now. But it is interesting. The two teams picked to finish third haven't had one yet, and they're the two teams that have dropped the most from where their preseason projections were. So it matters a bit. It's not the whole thing, but I tweeted this out yesterday. First five, six, seven, eight years of WCC membership, BYU had multiple, two, three, and four yeah. every year because the players were that good and the results were that good. Last three years, BYU's had only two players of the week over three seasons. So the standout performances have diminished. And the, maybe the biggest and most important point of all, Spencer and folks, is that the rest of the league has gotten more better players, the kind that win players of the week. BYU's had an alpha for a long time, at least one. I mean, for the last decade, Jimmer, Brandon Davies, Tyler Haas, Matt Carlino, Kyle Collinsworth, Alex Barcelo. There's always been at least one. TJ Haas in the mix, if not multiple, Greg. There's always been at least one. BYU doesn't really have that guy this year. Ideally, you've got a big three. Really, ideally, you've got a big three. And in BYU's best seasons, you get a big three of guys who can go off on any given night and pretty much consistently every night. This year, Foos is kind of your guy. Foos is your consistent expectation guy, but he's an undersized, by height, undersized five-man yeah. as the guy that, that you're leaning on to be your anchor right now. It's tough for Foos to shoulder that entire load. All right, on to the next. Let's discuss some volleyball, shall we, Greg? Are you surprised BYU men's volleyball stayed at number eight in the AVCA coaches poll after being swept by number two UCLA over the weekend in both matches? I guess I would say no uh, for this reason. The concentration of talent, the concentration of top level elite tier volleyball teams in the men's level is rather constricted. And so BYU can still have the kind of weekend it had and be one of the very best. And, and so, no, I guess I'm not terribly surprised they hung right around that mix because uh, you have to look at the options. If not BYU, then who in that spot? And, and again, BYU's been so good for so long, yeah. and the concentration yeah. of talent is so, um, again, kind of uh, narrow and, and wound in tight in men's volleyball that BYU can expect to kind of be there uh, most of the season without a total free fall. Well, let's be honest. The people, the volleyball metrics folks are looking at what BYU did, even though they were swept twice by UCLA. BYU had leads late in those sets in the first two of the first night. So it's not like BYU was absolutely shellacked and blown out of the water by a very talented UCLA team. It was the number two team in the country. They were, they were yeah. there. They were there for a while. Uh, the second match was not as close as the first, but the point is the metrics people are looking at, okay, well, 
what did you do in those sets? And BYU was good enough, I feel, to remain certainly in the top 10. Yeah, number eight. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. And Jason Shepard now joins us from Lafayette, Louisiana. Shep, how's your tour of Louisiana been so far? Look, it's great. Um, I realize everybody back home is dealing with uh, snowmageddon uh, right now. Uh, we're expected to have temperatures in the uh, upper 70s, low 80s today, but uh, significant humidity. So, you know, we're dealing with that. So it's basically the same. Really? You play the humidity card? Good luck. Fight through that. I think you, I think you <laughs> yeah, like it. I'm going to do my best. The last time Blaine and I were in, in Louisiana, BYU's football team didn't get past the 50-yard line. So the baseball team's at least having a better experience. <laughs> but I tuned in last night coming home from the airport, and it's 3-1 it's to one in the bottom of the eighth inning, and then things got away. Yeah, and unfortunately, um, errors have cost this team a couple of games. Um, you know, the Cougars come in 2-3 and three overall. And in the in the losses, uh, seven of the nine errors have been committed. And in talking with Coach Pratt this morning for our pregame for tonight, um, you know, he's like, we, we just have to stop beating ourselves. And, you know, the, the good thing is he, he the team is playing hard. The, they're giving it their all. And so the, the little things are just that they're little things. It is not big things that have to be changed right now. It's these little mental mistakes that are costing them and. You know, he, he's pretty confident that they'll be able to, to turn that thing around and, and, you know, pull out some of these victories moving forward. Trent's in my stake. We have State Conference Sunday. I fully expect him to be there. Please remind him if you wouldn't uh, mind. Um, three dudes uh, are hitting over 400 so far, Ozzie Pratt and Austin Deming, Ryan Sapiti. Who of these guys, is, uh, if maybe all three, maybe just one, is still going to be hitting 400-plus in a week? Yeah, I mean, like at this point right now, with the way that they're swinging the bat and seeing the ball, I'm not going to put it past all three of them to stay as hot as they are. Look, Ozzie Pratt is exactly what you're looking for in, in the leadoff spot. He's a guy that gets on base, and then once he's on base, he can use his speed to work himself around the bases, regardless if there's a base hit or not. Um, all three guys, now speaking of Deming and Sapiti, uh, both have two home runs, and that leads the team. Uh, but one thing that those three players have done, and quite frankly, as a team, BYU baseball has done in in a pretty impressive fashion, has been hitting doubles. In fact, last night, all there were there were three RBI doubles in the game by BYU. The, the Cougars right now um, they're putting up some runs, and last night they were only able to to muster the three. But that has been the the. Last night was the exception to the rule. They've been scoring runs to open the season, and that is certainly a good sign. Well, Trent Pratt, as we mentioned, is in Jerem Stake. I learned that today here on the show. Uh, this he did is tell a- me. He says that uh, <laughs> that was one of the uh, one of the negative selling points to being where he is. By <laughs> the way. Uh, it's all geography. Um, last year he took over midseason, so this is his first start to a season as a Division One head baseball coach. What have you noticed? Uh, from him as he marches through this time for the first time? Well, first and foremost, and Dave, you're obviously around the baseball team, you know, calling the games on BYU TV. And and one thing that's pretty obvious is just how much the players really like and respect Coach Pratt. And and he's one of those guys, he he demands a lot of you, but he also lets you do your thing. He, he's not going to 
he's not going to constantly be talking to you. If he needs to, he will. But he's going to let you be you. He's going to let you go out and do what he knows you're capable of doing. And the guys really respond to that. And before we went on this trip, um, and, and I've done this, you know, over the last couple of years with Coach Littlewood, now with Coach Pratt, just kind of, even though I'm around the team and in practices and whatnot, just kind of have a one-on-one sit down with him before the season, just to kind of go over some big picture stuff. And, you know, I asked him, I said, what's this like for you going into your first full season as the head coach? And he said he's really enjoying it. And there are a lot of things that when you're not the head coach, you're aware that the head coach does, but you see it from from afar. And now that he's in that spot, he said there's a lot more involved than you realize, but he's really enjoying everything that comes with being the head coach of the BYU baseball team. And and I, I can tell you that the players love him. His his assistant coaches love him, and and the the Cougar baseball program is in very good hands with Trent Pratt. We'll finish with this. How many times have you watched the Andy Reid interview from earlier this week? Um, well, I will tell you at least twice uh, that I've watched it. I've also listened to it a couple of times. I know Andy didn't actually say the win in the Super Bowl was dedicated to me, but I know in his heart that's what he meant. It was one of those things that he didn't have to actually uh, speak about. It was just understood. So, like, I appreciate that from Big Red, which is what I call him because we're that tight. Sure. Yeah, we call him Andy because we're on a first-name basis. Yeah. Will you please go on a swamp boat tour while you're back there in Louisiana, and then we can talk about it. It'll be the coolest yeah, you, thing you, were you ever do. You telling me that you and Blaine did yeah. that, and I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to find some time. We'll see if there's time Make in between time. prepping and getting and getting ready for the game. If you if don't join chance, us until the third inning, we'll know that it's because you you're t- on a swamp boat tour. I, It'll be worth it. I texted Shep Saturday. I go, Albert Pujols is 20 feet away from me at Vivian Arena. He goes, I just said that on the air. We know you have time, Shep. <laughs> you have <laughs> time. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can make it happen. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Shep. Uh, best of luck Thanks, on guys. the call tonight. You can, you can listen to the game, by the way, uh, tonight. 7 Eastern on the BYU radio app. Uh, and again, Shep does a nice job. I was listening to him last night. Painting the picture of us blowing a 3-1 uh, lead at the bottom of the eighth. <laughs> Dang and I'm just like, oh, for Hopefully the love. Can paint the picture of a swamp boat. And, and Shep's living the dream. He's on the road. Yeah. He's calling baseball yeah, and following the Cougs. The only thing that would be better is if Andy Reid was his analyst. Analyst, yeah. I wonder where Shep went. I didn't know. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. So, Dave, does it matter what seed BYU has going into the West Coast Conference Tournament, currently sitting in seventh place? We've sat on this show years before with different seedings and opportunities and it used to be well they're not going to have to show up till the semifinals so here's what needs to happen or okay they're going to get to the semifinals so they don't want to play until Saturday in the second round or third or quarterfinals really show up in the quarterfinals because of this map that we march out for them this year I think it's just play as many games as you can and if you just get to keep playing that means good things are happening so I don't think so as a BYU TV fan uh, if they play in the first round, they play on BYU TV. On and then Thursday. If they win, they'll play on BYU TV again yeah. on Friday. And so as a BYU TV fan, I'd love that. As a BYU fan, I don't want to be on Thursday. I just want to be on Friday so that I'm not in the group of the worst. But BYU's right there on the edge. So it's a whole different conversation this year. Yeah, I'm not sure it matters. Although playing on Thursday is pathetic. <laughs> it just is. We've been in that tournament 
you and I and, and Blaine and others since um, BYU even before they even got in the league. Uh, we were there back in 2011. And being the seventh seed would just be terrible. But the positives, like you said, are, well, there's more games to win. Um, if BYU's playing uh, Pepperdine again, hey, that's a Pepperdine team that beat you a couple weeks before, but it's neutral court. Um, and, then, and then you kind of slide up that side of the bracket. I would prefer that BYU is on the top side, meaning um, that, that they uh, can get to LMU in the quarters because a matchup with LMU is more favorable than one with Santa Clara. Santa Clara is really good. Um, they're not going to make the tourney good, but I would like to avoid being on that 7-10-6-3 side. I would prefer BYU be uh, on that, be the 5 somehow, and then play the 4 LMU should they win that game against the 8-9. That is where you want to be. Uh, looking through all the scenarios, if BYU, BYU clearly has to beat San Francisco to better itself. Right. If, if BYU wins on uh, Saturday, they probably will be the 5 or 6 seed. Now, the 5 different than the 6, um, again, on what side of the bracket you're on. But I don't see a situation where BYU can drop to as low as 8, by the way, because they have tiebreakers over Pacific and Portland. Pacific is going to lose to St. Mary's tonight. And then Portland and San Francisco are interesting because it's Pacific, Portland, San Francisco, BYU, all within a game of each other in spots five through eight at the moment. So certainly win Saturday, and you avoid being in the 7-10 spot in all likelihood. But if you can get to as high as the five, and it's complicated in the tiebreaker, by the way, with San Francisco, right. should they beat Portland tonight? I'm, I'm anticipating San Francisco will beat Portland tonight. Right. Because they, it goes head-to-head, -head, they will have split, and then you go record versus one, and then you look, two, you know, same area's gonna, and so on. They would be the same is what I'm seeing. So I'd go to net. Right now, they're divided by 15 spots, BYU 94, San Francisco 109. you got to win Saturday. Then you're probably higher than San Francisco. You probably get that tiebreaker. And perhaps you're as high as the five. And then, Dave, you've got a chance to beat an 8-9 team, play LMU, which you crushed at home, lost a while back by five in, in L.A., and now you're at least in the quarters with a chance to maybe be interested, Get right? Or Sorry, the semis. Yeah. No, the semis on Monday. So can BYU win on Friday, win on Saturday, and then, okay, yeah, they won two, they're making a little run here, and now you match up uh, in the semis with, unfortunately, uh, a top dog in St. Mary's. Oregon. The strange thing about this team is uh, in, in the lower group, no one's afraid of BYU, um, no. and so no one's going to go, oh, they're not on their own shows. If they had their own show, they'd go, okay, we on got, Mary's we got to avoid BYU. Yeah. But, but then you get into the upper group, and BYU didn't compete very well against Santa Clara, but they went toe-to-toe -to -toe with St. Mary's and Gonzaga four times. Isn't that weird? Um, and, and so if you can get, <laughs> get out of the weeds and somehow get to Monday, now you're playing teams that are, are, are leery of you mm -hmm. because you've exposed them, yep. and it's just a matter of on a particular day, can BYU finish in a big game, which they haven't been able to do. Yes. So, but, but down here in the weeds where everyone's the same, it's interesting, BYU competes better up here than they do down here. You get up for the big game. Including yeah. Saturday, because yeah. that's a bad matchup for BYU, San Francisco. If Shabazz comes in feeling it, as, as he has before, it, it could be a track meet. Um, BYU didn't play very well down there at San Francisco. I would think they would win here at home. But, but over the years, what teams come to Provo fearless against BYU? More so than... Only UVU than, in 2016. San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and this year. The Zags and the Gales have come in expect with expectations. Yep. But the Duns don't come in with fear like some of these other teams. LMU came in with fear and got beat by 29 points. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. crazy. In these close games this year, by the way, uh, let's, call a, let's call a close game a single-digit game, a three-score game, if you will. You can knock a couple threes down. 
BYU six and eleven in those games this yeah. year, and, and it's tough. And they've lost the last uh, seven uh, of those, which has been really, really tough to swallow. So, huge game Saturday. Obviously, got to win on Senior Night. By the way, Rudy Williams and Gideon George will be the two seniors honored. That doesn't mean guys won't either transfer or just right. call it. Um, you know, we, we anticipate uh, they're here until they're not. Um, yeah. But we look forward to kind of what that looks like in the offseason. But, hey, there's ball to be played and uh, everyone's seeding to be figured out. Everyone's got a chance. This year maybe is the year we embrace March Madness as, a, as an underdog, overachieving in, a, in this tournament. A new angle. As opposed One to that we will get dog. used to next year. Uh, which is, hey, can we go to next year at this time? We'll be saying, can we go to Kansas City and win a game? Right. Can we win a game mm-hmm. um, to perhaps be on the bubble uh, or something, right? That's the hope. Yeah. And then someday, four, five, six, seven years, as, as the program builds itself, it'll be, okay, we got, what, what day are we going to play Kansas? We don't want to play Kansas until Saturday. So it's, it's Oklahoma State and Baylor and then I West Virginia with an opportunity to go to win those games. Yeah. We're not there yet. Saturday's um, the title but, game. Hey, yeah. But what, we'll, look at, we'll be going, hey, what side's Kansas on? When are we going to play them? Um, at, whereas right now and next year it'll be, okay, let's just hope for the best. Let's win a game. Let's win that, a game. That, to me, that's, that's the hope next year. All right, also on our minds today, where should BYU take advantage of the new rule that allows you to add two more assistants to the men's and women's basketball staffs? Now, they're assistants that aren't allowed to recruit off of campus, but they can do everything else. I almost wonder if you get a recruiting coordinator on campus. Um, you can work with the coaches who go out and talk to them, but recruiting's just such a big deal. To me, that's the, the single biggest reason for the demise of the men's basketball team this year. Did not recruit enough good players. NIL has a big thing to do with that. Right. I know uh, the Royal Blue Collective, Coop Connect, and others are working hard but they're starting. to make that yeah. a tr- more they're attractive. Just at the start. Yes, they're getting into that, which is great, these collectives. Because that matters. You can't even get in the door with some of these guys. Nick Robinson has said, hey, there are certain players that we're going after that are Big 12 starter good, that their starting amount per year is 150 to 350. So you have to have that in pocket uh, unless you're just going to be ballers on a budget forever, which is sort of how BYU rolls. But it doesn't have to be that way if you don't want it to be, right? So, I, And then a straight basketball dude would be good. We were talking, I agree with you this morning, probably offense. Um, defensively, BYU's been really good this year, 36th right now. Obviously, a couple of lapses the last couple of weeks. But the last four years defensively, all 97.2 or less, which is some of the best defenses BYU's had in the last 20 years. Offensively, this is the worst season by far in the last four. Uh, 106.5 offensive rating compared to 110, 113, 116 previous three. Got to have better offense. So someone on the offensive side of the ball, an offensive coordinator, if you will. Like a Dave Rice. Somebody that can come in and you would play the Vegas card the there. I see that, and he's available. But <laughs> uh, but but somebody like that, yeah. uh, where you can go. Hey, uh, we we need to get better. That doesn't mean I got to unload people. Let me add. add some of the right guys. Yes. And uh, and it's interesting with basketball and football. In football this last season, it was the defense, and and so what did Kalani do, and what did he have to do? He changed out his defensive staff. He had to change the whole mantra of the defense. And once he did that, Cougar Nation kind of got back in line with optimism yep. to where they celebrated the arrival of the Big 12 schedule. It's going to be tough. But they got a couple of right pieces in the portal. They made the tough changes he had to make in the offseason. And, and fans, are, fans just want to know we're going in the right direction, right? Boosters want to know, hey, I'm, I'm going to back you with my money. I just need to know you're, you're going th- this way. And, and so basketball's problem this year has been offense, not defense. 
And here comes the opportunity to fix that. And I think that's on Mark Pope and, and the others to go, what, what are we going to do to get better? Here's an opportunity where the NCA is saying, you can add two assistants if you want. It'd be why you'd be wise to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, uh, we anticipate they will. Regarding the football changes, remember, it's hard. Sometimes you have to do this. If you already changed the offensive staff, if you already fired a Heisman Trophy winner here, yeah. like it had to be done. And uh, BYU got Zach Wilson. And it triggered the next gen of BYU football's resurrection of 2020, 21, 22. Wasn't quite what we wanted, but it wasn't terrible. Eight and five is good, right? And uh, you're producing two NFL quarterbacks in a row because. Aaron Roderick. Aaron Roderick is the key to this whole thing. And Fessy Satake and Steve Clark and those guys, you have to make tough decisions uh, sometimes. Perhaps men's basketball has to make tough decisions in the offseason. I'm not sure what that looks like for them, but certainly they have to get better because the Big 12 is looming. If you're sitting in seventh place going into the last weekend in the WCC, the Big 12 is a little intimidating and you start getting a little sweaty. But BYU is capable of going in the league with a few other pieces. Again, BYU is not far off this year in terms of margin of loss and good defense. They just need a little bit better offense and, a, and maybe a couple of pieces. You get Trevin Nell back for a full year. And a giant center. You need, okay, you a walked center. into the season with two bigs. That was an issue no matter how good those bigs are. And these two happen to be super young yep. with great potential. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Yes, and, and I still hope Atiki is kind of the backup center because I think he can be a really good backup. Foose needs to play the four, not the five for right. BYU. Sure. Next year, if Foose is the, is the five, BYU's in trouble. Yeah. they got to bring somebody else in. Right. So we'll see what BYU adds in terms of those uh, assistants, which, by the way, that can be added July 1st, sounds like. Shout out to uh, Robbie McCombs. There's a lot going down on July 1st. There's a lot going down, yeah. <laughs> a lot of, uh, you know. It's a big uh, day to expand a whole lot of things. Fourth of July parties. Uh, Stadium of Fire is always big for you. Yeah. yeah. It's a big week. It's going to be awesome. And one thing that you've said that, that coaches will always say uh, when it comes down to it, players win the games. Yeah. And so in the recruiting, you're going to get better players. Yep. I think Going into B a better league, you need better players. For BYU to make the NCAA tournament next year, I feel like BYU has to get two and a half more players better than anyone on the roster. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. A five-win season? Yikes. No, no. Bill Connolly, stats man, great dude, friend of the program, joined us yesterday and gave us some great insights. Based on his projections, I asked him, what does number 62 in the SP Plus mean in terms of a win-loss record? And he said, well, it equals five wins based on my numbers. Jerem, is BYU better than a five-win team next season going into the Big 12. We'd like to think so, Spence. Uh, five won't cut it. Uh, bowl game, always the minimum threshold. We'll never be like, you know what, four and eight was good. Uh, <laughs> no. Can you imagine? Five and seven, unacceptable. Yeah, not Four and eight, yeah. Not for this program. Now, uh, Utah, when it went into the Pac-12, uh, went five and seven two of the first three years. They were eight and five that second year. BYU's better suited to enter the Big 12 than Utah was in the Pac-12 because BYU's played in independence and played these schedules that at the time I thought were too tough for no reason. Well, when you're entering the Big 12, you're ramping up, right? And BYU the last couple years has played some tough schedules. They weren't Big 12 schedules. They weren't Power 5 schedules. But they were as hard as they could be without being an actual Power 5 team because as an independent, BYU could play the schedule it wanted. It played tough schedules. They weren't 
a Mountain West uh, schedule like the past where you play two or maybe three P5s max in a season. BYU was playing up to seven some years, five and six the last couple, right? I think, um, like we've talked about, I, I've said, hey, if BYU makes a bowl game, that was, that was a good first year. A good, you've said, hey, seven and five, right? Five would not be acceptable. So that's what Bill's projecting. But the great unknown, and there's lots of unknown going into next season on offense in particular with some of the primary playmakers, and Keaton Slovis, of course, at quarterback. Can he be 2019 USC Keaton Slovis uh, in this offense? And with his health, his shoulder's good, his back's good. Aiden Robbins out of UNLV expected to be RB1. It's really the defense to me, Spence. Mm. We don't exactly know how much better BYU will be, but I guarantee it, you'll like the way the defense looks, is that BYU is going to look better. New defensive coordinator with Jay Hill. New staff. They probably can't be much worse. That's not to offend anybody on the BYU defense. They just haven't been very good the a last two years. defense that's ranked basically 100th out of 130-plus teams, not great. No thanks. Um, 79 in SP-plus defensively two years ago, 95th last year. We're just asking for top half. We're ta- asking for top 60 probably. And if the offense is what it uh, has been the last couple years, which is, hey, uh, top 50, top 40-ish, then yes, BYU should exceed that five-win uh, uh, number, but they've got to do it. They got, they have to go out and do it against the toughest schedule. Uh, you know, BYU's had in a while in terms of not in terms of uh, perhaps uh, quality, because you could argue there are some years in the past, even in the Mountain West, where BYU played some real quality teams, non-conference. You stack them up, you're like, hey, number one USC has been on the schedule. Number five, so and so. It's top to bottom. This is the toughest schedule in BYU history because 10 P5. 100%. I want to play a couple of sound bites from yesterday's conversation with Bill, beginning with exactly what he said about BYU being a five-win team. The average win total that I'm looking at right now is around five. Big variation in in potential here, though, because uh, not a lot of sure losses. You got the, the extremely likely wins at the start. Not a ton of sure losses. Just a lot of games where BYU is a slight underdog. And that's why I love that he clarified it in that way. It's not as simple as just, yeah, five wins, but there are so many games on the schedule that he is projecting will be close games. He later specified a home game against Texas Tech, a home game against Iowa State. Those games, if they swing BYU's favor, then very quickly BYU is a six or seven win team you just and he, he also pointed out the home game against Cincinnati yeah. those are all going to be so closely contested at least by the numbers going in that if BYU can win some of those games then again we're talking about yeah bowl eligibility mm-hmm. or a seven win team or even eight if if one score games are a big deal Spence like when you look at the the seasons where BYU had some real success they won a lot of those close games TCU unbelievably played a ton of close games and won all of them <laughs> but one, and then they had a blowout uh, in the national title game, of course. But, like, you have to win tight games. Last year, BYU wins in overtime uh, against Baylor. They lose a one-score game against Notre Dame. Yeah. They lose a one-score game against ECU. They win a one-score game at Boise State. They win a one-point game against SMU. Those t- a swing a season. It's really important to pull off tight wins. Now, you can make games not one-score game by being terrible or being better, um, by putting the pedal down, by beating a team by multiple scores. Yeah, what if a few of those games that BYU played in that ended in wins swing the other way? Now we're talking about a 6-7 and seven team. Yeah. 
It's Very a totally easily. different rhetoric. Or a 9-3 and three team in the regular season yeah. if you beat Notre Dame. That's a right? credit to BYU for winning and the majority of those close games last year and what feels like the majority of those games in the recent years. So, yeah, that, that's a good trend for BYU yeah. to have. Can they keep it in the Big 12? And I, like you, tend to think, well, clearly BYU's defense just needs to be better to help win some of those close games. Yeah. But I asked Bill again, all right, based on the numbers, where do you think BYU could beat the statistics and the projections going in? This is what he said. So I can see, um, you know, they're projected 42nd. I could see a top 30 offense coming Ooh. out of that. And like I said, if you can if you can exceed projections just a little bit, that could pay off with a number of uh, – that could tip a number of close games overall. Now, Jerem, he said, look, I know Jay Hill's coming in. And I think that BYU's defense could be better, but I feel more it better com- be better. I feel more confident that BYU's offense would exceed expectations than the defense exceeding expectations. So he's putting more trust in Keaton Slovis and Aiden Robbins and all the guys you just talked about like, a few moments ago. The receivers. Just, yeah, yeah. The offensive line has some spots to fill, but there's still a core group there led by Connor Payne and Kingsley Suomataia. And Paul Miley comes in on that yeah, line, which is there's, there's experience yeah, there. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting that he leans toward yeah. the offense, which is, hey, 42nd is not terrible. That's top third of college football. I'd be okay with that in the Big 12 in year one. I really would. But he says 82nd for defense. That's his projected end of year number? Yeah. Is that what he's saying? Can BYU be better than that? I just want top half. Give me 66. Yeah. Top Top 60, yeah, 66 great. short, Get, repeating, right of Right in the middle. Give me 66, and if BYU even holds at his projection on offense of 42, then they're going to win seven games. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and here's where the argument comes down to. The unknown of Jay Hill as a D1 coordinator versus the known of Aaron Roderick as a D1 coordinator and what is Keaton Slovis, what is Aiden Robbins, um, and so on and so forth. Offensively, Aaron Roderick is one of the most proven OCs in the game right now. The last couple of years, BYU's been tremendous. Look back at last year. You think about the offense and, and what they did or didn't do in certain times. Um, EPA, expected points added. That defines the value of each play on the likelihood to score. This is an emerging metric in football. BYU was 19th offensively in EPA last year. 17th in offensive success rate. That is, you get a certain percentage of yards on a certain down towards a first down, right? BYU's 17th. And that was 22. 21 was really good. 20 was even better. Granted, 20 is a big asterisk year, right? Given the schedule, BYU did great with what they could. The last three years, Aaron Roderick has done awesome stuff. He's producing NFL quarterbacks. BYU is putting up points. They're, they're in the metrics that matter. They're doing good things. Obviously, there's room for improvement. We talked about it ad nauseum. Defensively, BYU was 112 in EPA. Yikes. Just really, really bad. I believe the offense is going to be better than expected. Okay. If it's 42, I think they'll be top 40. E- even in the Big 12, that's the hope. Even if it's a few spots. Even if it's a few spots. And let's say they're not. Let's say they're 50th on offense. Okay. You're in the Big 12 and playing 10 P5s. It's a different standard. Defensively, BYU's got to be... Uh, you can't be 95th again. Notably better. You can't be 95th again. You've got to improve 20 or 30 spots to be in a bowl situation. Now, here's the thing. BYU's entering the Big 12. The, the, the thing with Big 12 ball has always been, it feels like, the last couple of years, it's going to be shootouts, okay? So the defense, the, some of those numbers against a tougher schedule and style of play, because let's be honest, BYU's built more like a Big 10 team 
than a Big 12 team, meaning speed on the perimeters, secondary, chase them, outscore them. Um, and not to say BYU hasn't done that in a couple of years, but BYU has a physical big offensive line, quality run game, doesn't turn it over. Like BYU is more like a Big 10 team traditionally um, the last couple of years. This isn't the 80 where BYU's thrown for 400 yards a game. You know what I mean? Like, no, we want it that, to be that. That is what the Big 12 is most of the time. Not every team is that way. They have some good ground games still. But, like, BYU is going to have to win multiple games where they give up 30-plus a game. Multiple games. Like, Toledo 2016 going to happen a little more than, than you think. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Mark Durant on the program. Mark, what's up? Do you mind showing the people the Pez collection again? Because it's one of the best uh, I've ever seen. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. Here you go. We're, we're panning. We're looking. <laughs> That's incredible, man. Uh, okay. Do you have that insured? Is that insured? <laughs> are, you, are there any you don't have? Uh, yeah, there's plenty. It's amazing how many uh, Pez there are. And, uh, I mean, you go back 50, 70, 70, 80 years. If you get some of those, then you're talking some money. My, mine, are, mine are low rent, but they're fun. It's amazing that Pez collecting is a thing. It's, well, my father-in-law uh, does it, but, uh, yeah, we shouldn't, we shouldn't compare to that. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Mark. It was great to talk to you. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> We're talking about what seed uh, you know, BYU could be depending on win-loss, San Francisco. Obviously, that all shakes out after Saturday night and after you know, tonight's games and whatnot, BYU with a bye. But to you, and this is our question of the day, does it matter what seed BYU has going into Vegas? Yeah, it matters to me. Uh, I, I, you know, Vegas is a, a place about odds, right? And... Uh, if you add on another game, your odds go down and there's no guarantee for this team that a Thursday night game, they're going to win anyway. And, uh, so, you know, I, am not a gambler. I know Dave McCann's a big gambler, but <laughs> I don't know. From his crash, degenerate you know, Vegas days. Just cause I lived there doesn't mean I played there. <laughs> Dave, Dave ran that city for a few years, Still does. Uh, but. Uh, I don't know, Dave. In the in the craps, if you get a seven, is that isn't that bad? I don't know, but regardless, in basketball <laughs> tournament wise, no a seven is bad. You don't want to roll a seven, and you and not only is the seed bad, but it's what, what how you got the seed. In order for BYU to be a seven, they have to have lost at home to San Francisco. That's the thing that really concerned me. So if you're a seven seed, and that means you've lost what <laughs> four in a row, five in a row. And you lost at home to a team that should have been the seven. And that's not a good way to go in the tournament, regardless of how many games you have to play. But, uh, you know, this team is kind of plays on uh, a razor's edge a little bit. So the fewer games that you can play, the better your odds of actually doing something, I think. Just for the record, I was at the Mirage yesterday. <laughs> and, and I walked through the casino and I have no idea what anyone's doing. Uh, yeah, no, they said, Mr. McCann, come in, here's the red carpet, here's the penthouse suite, here's your drink. I had a bow tie on. Drink the high rollers. I had a bow tie on because I was emceeing some. People just hand me their car keys as I walk through. <laughs> nice. I'd like the black, bring the black one up. Hey, um, 
San Francisco on Saturday is a strange matchup for BYU. They come in fearless, uh, as they have in years past, and it's a big game for BYU, talking about everything you're talking about in the seeding. It's almost like the tournament starts for BYU on Saturday, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it It, it certainly does, but uh, this team, you know, the funny thing about this team, Dave, is when I go into games, I feel like they could beat any team, and I feel like they could lose to any team. I, You know, it's just, I, I don't know what you're going to get from these guys. I hope you know, sometimes they get up for the big games but have a hard time getting up for the littler games. And some I'm worried in their minds, right, that they're going to think uh, the hard games are, you know, Saturday night, Monday night. And, you know, if they're playing Thursday or Friday, that they might overlook that and, and get beat. So I hope that the focus is on uh, just get just getting to, you know, winning games and not thinking ahead and taking each team incredibly seriously serious and have a lot of fear in your heart because you pretty much lost everybody at this point but having some fear playing with fear which can be a good thing if there's not too much fear and and going out and playing hard because I think when this team plays hard and the offensive rebound and play good defense then they're really good um, but sometimes it, that, that doesn't translate for them and so I hope you know whatever day of the week in the tournament you're in give that consistent good hard effort and I think that they could uh, be in every game, and maybe maybe all the bad luck they've had this season will 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 be rewarded with some good luck, and, and they win some close games, and maybe win a couple games. We're talking to the uh, number one charge leader in Provo High history, Mark Durant, on BYU Sports Nation. I don't know if that's actually true. I think it is. Um, true. What, what, as an armed tiger, I think it as is. As an armed tiger, you would say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about the goal for BYU in Vegas. Um, you, you said, "Hey, to do something." What? What? What is the goal for BYU in the West Coast Conference tournament? Certainly, we'd like to think that hey, they could win it for the first time since 2001 in any conference tournament. But the reality is, uh, maybe a couple of wins it would be amazing. Yeah, I mean it's it's a weird situation this year uh, in that it, it, it's a season where I think anybody could win it um, to a degree. Uh, LMU, Santa Clara have a, a good chance to win it. Uh, Gonzaga, St. Mary's, obviously, but they're not invulnerable. They're they've shown some weaknesses, and so usually you're talking about BYU in that mix when when there's a chance to win the tournament we were doing that earlier in the season that this may be the year that BYU could actually make a run it would appear from the last couple of weeks that that's not the case but if they can have a good practice this week have a really nice showing against San Francisco uh, they go into Friday and have another nice game where they're playing consistently maybe that gives them a little bit of confidence and then you're playing uh, in your mind I think, for postseason, and you, and that may be a little bit more of a motivation for the team. And and like I said, they they they're in almost every game they play. They can win every game they play. So it's not completely unreasonable, even given what has happened for BYU, to be able to make a little bit of a run and get some confidence and play well. So I think for me, winning Friday and not getting in the, the Thursday game, winning Friday and Saturday, and then whatever happens. Monday it would be a successful tournament. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. And joining us now is ESPN College Football Insider 
and the creator of the SP Plus Projections, Bill Connolly. Bill, welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. Great to have you on the program. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, let's start with this. Uh, last season, BYU was essentially number one in returning <laughs> production and number 23 overall in your SP+. Plus. Expectations were super high. Injuries set in. BYU sustained a four-game losing streak in the middle of the season. They wind up number 70, 47 spots below where they were projected. <laughs> what happened <laughs> to BYU football by the numbers? Yeah, I mean, by the numbers, offense got a little worse, which, you know, the the differences in the receiving core and what you thought you were going to have heading into the year and then, you know, with the injuries and whatnot. Obviously, I think that played a major role. Uh, the run game seemed fine, so I do think it was mostly the passing game um, and, and just a need for a few bigger plays here and there. But obviously, the biggest shift was on the defense. Defense was extremely experienced. It had regressed in 2021. Um, any sort of major boost in the projections were coming from uh, that side of the ball and, lo and looking to get back to kind of a top 20 or 30 or at least top 40 or 50 level. Uh, they were 95th and uh, bottom just fell out on that side of the ball. And, you know, you're just not going to. It was Ben, don't break the bent way too much to have any benefit whatsoever and uh, just didn't come together. So, I mean, I like I like the hires. Uh, there, there's a potential for uh, a decent rebound if, if just getting some new blood in charge of everything works well. But, yeah, heading into this coming year, projected kind of borderline top uh, 40 offense, which I could definitely see, and a borderline top 80 defense. That's where the improvement is uh, most required. Yeah, fair, fair to say, Bill, that, that the numbers or the rankings have to draw closer to one another. Too big of a gap right now between the O and the D. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly I mean, if, if you know, the gap is that the offense is number one and the defense is 40th, that's a, still a pretty big. That's gap, doable. Not, yeah, not nearly as much of a problem. But yeah, I mean, the bottom line is for the the offense could absolutely stand to improve, but the defense has to catch back up pretty, pretty drastically. Where's the correlation for you in returning production to success at the end of the season? Yeah, it's more the the correlation is typically to improvement and regression more than quality or lack thereof. Like if you had the worst, if you were the worst team in FBS last year and you returned everybody, you're not suddenly supposed to be one of the best, but you're supposed to improve because continuity, experience, those things matter, obviously. So that's the correlations got screwed up by the fact that BYU didn't really live up to that last year. They had a very, very high percentage of returning production and fell 30 spots. And, um, that's not how that's supposed to work. This year, the the numbers are pretty are are okay. Obviously, leaning pretty heavily on transfers this time around, and that's those pr the production of those transfers does get factored into the equation. Like Keaton Slovis, obviously his his numbers count, so that helps. But yeah, it's it's the the correlation was all screwed up by BYU last year. We'll see what that means for this year. That's great news, Bill. It's great news. <laughs> you, broke, you broke the math. You broke the math last year. Now, speaking of Keaton Slovis and Aiden Robbins, running back coming over from UNLV, the transfer portal, I'm sure, is quite the uh, trek for you each year when yeah. you're trying to piece this together. It's wild. It's free agency in college sports. So how do you manage that and, and try and come up with a number system that you feel confident in because there are so many moving parts and late in the game? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So in previous years, like long ago, when I first started doing this, it was it was enough to basically just take the, you know, the three or four transfers that you maybe bring in at most um, kind of plug their production from previous schools into the into the current production and, and just leave it at that. That's, you know, it's factored into returning production. The recruiting piece is still based on normal, plain old recruiting classes as normal. And that worked pretty well. Starting last year, especially, though, obviously, things exploded so quickly that I was kind of taking on a few guesses here and there as to how to incorporate this, you know, suddenly it wasn't three or four transfers. It was 18 and it was including the reigning Bolitnikov winner or the soon to be Heisman winner and five-star guys. And that's, that was new. And uh, now that there's a year of data, I have a better way of approaching it. It's, it's not enough to put it into the returning production piece. It's now factored into recruiting as well. Um, I think I have a pretty good plan based on what we saw last year and we'll find out. It really is the recruiting piece now is a mix of the recruiting rankings and and transfer quality and just transfer pure transfer volume uh, factors into it as well. And obviously, you know, BYU's got decent volume this year. Well, Bill, now's the year that uh, you and everyone else start uh, putting BYU in the uh, the P5 bin when it comes to data sorting. Uh, and, and in 2023, the schedule features an FCS a brand new FCS or a brand new FBS that was FCS last year, and then a road game in the SEC before the Big 12 slate uh, comes on the plate. Uh, thoughts on a win-loss window for BYU in 2023? Well, from an SP Plus perspective, the average win total that I'm looking at right now is around five. Big variation in in potential here, though, because uh, not a lot of sure losses. You got the, the extremely likely wins at the start. Not a ton of sure losses. Just a lot of games where BYU is a slight underdog, basically like four points against Kansas, three and a half against Cincinnati, uh, two against Iowa State. Just a lot of like that. So basically... If BYU can uh, exceed projections a little bit, and they're projected 62nd, that's really not that bad. Uh, but you're joining a no bad teams conference, right. basically, um, and that's going to—it's just going to be close game after close game. And if they can exceed projections by a little bit, especially on the defensive side, then there are a lot of wins uh, on the table. It's just there are a lot of losses too. It's, it's, this is this is life in the Big 12. Whoever wins the close games, you know, win makes the conference title game, and, and somebody's going to lose those close games as well. Bill Connolly of ESPN is on BYU Sports Nation. From your perspective, outside of the Pro Bowl bubble and outside of the BYU bubble, <laughs> would making a bowl game qualify as a successful season for BYU? I think after what we saw last year, yes. Um, Asked me this a year ago, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm probably not saying BYU is a, a Big 12 contender necessarily, but I'm thinking seven, eight, nine wins is certainly on the table. But now there's a lot of there's a reset coming on here on the uh, on defense, especially. And, you know, that kind of knocked them behind. However, it came about and, you know, whether the fixes work or not, we'll see. But uh, it did knock BYU kind of off that that trajectory that we saw the last couple of years. And they got to get back on it. So at this stage, yeah, if you can beat Sam Houston and Southern Utah, win the, the closest projected games, what Kansas, Cincinnati, Texas Tech, uh, Iowa State get to six and six. Obviously, even six and six is probably going to include some close games that you thought you should have won. But yeah, you get to six wins and just call it a win uh, this first season. 
Bill, I, I, I've admired your work for uh, a long, long time, uh, so much so that, that this book <laughs> is, is on my shelf in my yes. office. And this has probably come up on what, nine or 10 years that this, that this book uh, came out. Yeah, 2013, yeah, so 10 years. Yeah, and, and I still refer to it frequently. And, <laughs> and there's a lot of highlighted passages I have in this. And, and one of them I love, and, and these are your words, which kind of, they really speak to me, if I don't mind. Uh, stats can teach us what is truly important about a given sport. Tell us where to focus our eyes and give us a path for better understanding and enjoying a sport we most likely already loved. That's a really great summation of why numbers guys become numbers guys. <laughs> and yes, I know there are tons of cliches about there about, you know, lies, darn lies and statistics and how stats are for losers, et cetera. But uh, the way you put it out there uh, makes it make sense for a lot of people like me and others. And I think you do amazing work. I'm so grateful for you and what you've uh, done in the world of analytics to help people like me and others understand the game better. And uh, just kudos to you. I appreciate it. I do think um, a lot of it is basically getting people to accept that they already use stats. Uh, there are just better stats to use. You know, we all, you know, the people who say stats are for losers or turn around and reference somebody's, you know, passing yards per game or something. And, you know, it's just, there's better, we can do better. And and I think over the last 10 years, since I wrote that book, we are doing a decent amount better, even if, uh, you know, people yelling on Twitter about fourth downs proves that we've still got a little ways to go here. <laughs> All right, Bill, I'm going to ask you to put on some BYU blue goggles for a moment and just, okay. just say, okay. And I ask this question because, because you are a numbers guy. Where do you feel like BYU is most likely to exceed expectations by the numbers? Um, I do think the off – I was going to say offense, but um, – hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'll I'll stick with that. I can see something coming together. I like Aiden Robbins a good amount. Um, obviously, so much new on the defense. I like Jay Hill, but we'll see what he can do and how quickly. If if BYU really does exceed projections this year, I'm going to say um, that run game really clicked. The offensive line clearly has a lot of experience uh, that might come in you know, pretty handy. Um, and, and, you know, the guys who got hurt or the guys who stepped up last year while injuries were hitting the receiving core. Um, I can see the experience through that process paying off this year. So I can see, um, you know, the projected 42nd, I could see a top 30 offense coming Ooh. out of that. And like I said, if you can, if you can exceed projections just a little bit, that could pay off with a number of, uh, that could tip a number of close games overall. Bill, BYU's finally P5 officially with the Big 12 membership. What have you been thinking about BYU in the preceding years? Because they've been playing a much heavier P5-centric schedule, even though they were an independent. Were you kind of already maybe kind of tilting that way in terms of how you perceive them or project them? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, they were top 50 in SP plus most years. I'm looking at, you know, starting in 2011, it was, you know, 42, 39, a bunch of 30s, a bunch of 40s. Obviously, 2017, when the offense fell apart, like that was there was a reset going on there, but they were right back in the top 50. Top 50 is P5. Um, we act like, you know, there are 60 something P5 bids. We act like that means, you know, top the, the all top 60 is 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 p5 that's obviously not the case but if you're a top 40 or 50 program you're you're not only p5 you're at worst kind of an average p5 team uh, and byu's been that so yeah i mean how to uh, you know categorize byu over the last decade has been really weird overall and i'm happy it's a lot easier now <laughs> but on paper they've been a at least mid-tier p5 team for most of the last uh for most of the last decade 
Bill, once again, you have proven that just because you put the Cougars at number 62, you don't hate the program. <laughs> this is That's not right. personal. It's just numbers. Hey, we appreciate yes. the time as always. Uh, stay warm for the remaining weeks, and um, we'll look forward to seeing you when college football season rolls around. Thank Sounds you, Bill. Good. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Cougar Whip Around, presented by Maersk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Spender, a favorite metric in the country is the <laughs> luck rating by Ken Palm. BYU ranks uh, ninth lowest oh. in the country. Um, does this make you feel better or worse about this season? It makes me feel worse about this season. That BYU's unlucky? BYU catch a break! One break! Can Aiden Mahaney miss that shot? Can or Julian Strother miss that shot? Can Can anybody miss a shot? Um, Just one of them! Down the stretch by an opponent. Um, yeah. Can no, we not tough. foul Julian Strother down two at Gonzaga? Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah, I feel worse too. <laughs> it's, not, it's not great. That's, uh, no, I feel great. No, I feel oh. bad. Yeah. Could BYU not have lost to South Dakota and not gone down 20 in that game? Don't pile on. I know. That I'm horse sorry. is already dead. I apologize. I apologize. Thank you. Whew. Okay, Gusfraba. Yes. What? All right. That's the word do? in anger management that uh, Adam Sandler is told Goose to use Braba? to calm down. Gusfraba. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that one now. Nice. Lauren Gustin is 23 rebounds away from beating BYU's single-season rebounding yeah. record set by the great Tina Gunn-Robison. Will she attain the 23rd rebound this week, and if so, when? Uh, first half against Gonzaga. That, okay. She's averaging 16 a game, so seventh rebound will be in the first half. Okay, so With like yeah. 2.38 on the clock. I was going to say, I figured out kind of when that should happen, and I'm saying with four minutes and nine seconds okay. left in the first half. 4.09. Against Gonzaga. Love a clean house. So it'll be the second quarter. So 4.09 left in the second quarter against Gonzaga. Oh, in the second quarter. Yes. Left in the second quarter. Correct. Yeah, mine's in the half, so it's the second quarter as well. We'll, we'll play close to the thing on that. <laughs> okay, Jamal Williams is in the running to make the Madden 2023 Ultimate Team. It's one of 98 players selected as the most outstanding NFL players. Should Jamal make this? Yes, based on just his pure entertainment value. <laughs> Come on! Did Evan dance in the game? Please! but. He, he belongs on the ultimate team. Vote for your boy. And he should he probably says. have an anime character Please. made of himself. Yeah. By the Somebody way, I draw that. Speaking of anime, I just started watching Attack on Titan. Good. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. We need to talk to Jamal about I this. I watched, because I was, uh, you know, uh, feeling under the weather yesterday. I watched like 24 episodes in two days. Awesome. I've been going hard, bro. 30 minutes a piece? 21. Oh. Yeah. 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 That's a great thing. Yeah, that's watch. why. I haven't talked to my kids at all. Fend just... <laughs> <laughs> for yourself. You <laughs> Thanks, Mark. 43 years ago today, the Miracle on Ice. Oh, Amazing. Uh, so good. What's the biggest miracle in BYU sports history? Okay, in a game, it's clearly 1980. We call it the Miracle Bowl, you know, the comeback against SMU, of course. But to me, the number one is getting into a Power Five. Oh. We've wanted this forever, Spence. It is a miracle. We did it. Like, we're going to the Big 12. To me, that's the biggest miracle in BYU. Wow, sports. that's off the radar. Yeah. Okay, and one I was not thinking about because I'm thinking about, you know, sure, accomplishments in games, but that, yeah, it, it is miraculous in fashion. And, and we amazing. celebrated yeah. it like it was miraculous. Yes. <laughs> By beating Utah the next And time. then they followed it with the win. Uh, okay, so I, lo I love that take. Um, I'm going to say 
there, there are three that come to mind. Yes, the Miracle Bowl. The Manga Miracle has the word miracle in it, right? The, the game convenient. against Nebraska. Amazing. Amazing so, game so. right there. Mitch Matthews catches that. And then BYU beating Miami in 1990. That, that was miraculous in a fashion. BYU was ranked 16. True, People forget but this But Miami fact. was such a juggernaut. Yeah. Let's Defending go. national champions. They finished number three that season. Best win in BYU history. It by really that. is. Yeah. And then men's basketball against Gonzaga in 2017. That's a one and done NIT team that beats the number one team in the country on the road. I, I think undefeated. BYU was a 16 a point or an 18 point underdog going into that BYU game. BYU was down 18 to two in that game, by the way. You forget won. that. <laughs> and won the game by eight. That was amazing. Overtime documented a game played on a fully carpeted court. How many times do you think you've played on a carpeted court in a church gym? A lot, a lot. That was I, I, one of your churches yes. uh, that way? I'd probably say at least 10 or 15 times I've played on a carpeted gym, if not more. Yeah, it's like 30 or 50 or something for me. I don't know. Carpeted gyms. Uh, luckily, we got away with that. To me, that's an apostate basketball <laughs> tradition. Um, we have actual gyms now, which is great. I've got some significant run burns or, or oh, run yeah. burn scars oh, to show for knees, it as well. Knees, elbows. Ugh. Come Holy on now. Cow. Yeah. Why? Apostasy. Why? Apostasy. Yeah. Jackson Emery probably has played on a carpeted gym. <laughs> Heard of him. He tweeted out an interesting take. He said, "Should the Jazz sign?" These BYU greats? Okay, well, he, he, he didn't say BYU greats. Oh, he said, why wouldn't the Jazz sign? Sign these guys. Yes, okay, so yes. not BYU. I was going to say, uh, Frank Jackson. Not <laughs> and BYU. Sam Merrill. Sam Merrill. These are the guys a, we wish a, had gone to BYU. BYU. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> In our metaverse. <laughs> all the great, all went to all BYU. The great members of the church come to BYU. Should the Jazz sign any of those guys? Well, they just did. Frank Jackson, uh, reportedly, to a 10-day. Um, he says Sam Merrill, Eric Mika. Eric Mika's still in the game. Sam Merrill playing internationally. I can't remember where. By the way, like I saw JT Carroll on uh, Sunday at the All-Star yeah. game, by the way. Yeah, Utah State, him. great. And he says Jimmer Fredette. Is Jimmer's not, is Jimmer not playing anymore? He hasn't played for like a year and a half, almost two years. He's taking it easy. Yeah, and he, he can. He's done well for himself. He's not retired, though. But, um, yeah, they are with Frank. Like, in the pursuit of tanking for Wenbenyama. Victor Wenbenyama. Is that what he's saying? Yeah. Tank for Victor. I, Jazz are too good to get the number one pick, though. I could see Eric signing a 10-day as well. Two That'd be fun. A couple of Lone Peak guys. Eric Jackson, knows Eric Danny Ainge from living in Boston as oh, a kid. Let's do it. It hasn't happened yet. Danny, sign Eric. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. Andy Reid would. Just sign all the BYU guys. <laughs> Come on now. Listen to BYU Baseball tonight as the Batcats take on the Raging Cajuns of Louisiana. 7 Eastern on the BYU Radio app with Shep. Do you think he's had gumbo down there? He has to have. Yes. I would hope so. Yes. If not, don't come back. He's a no carbs guy, though. Are there any carbs oh, in gumbo? Yeah, he is no Are there any gumbo. carbs in gumbo? I don't know. No. No, not really, right? I don't think so. It's just meat and protein, and we've got to find out. Delicious. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Take, uh, you know, 17 points and 16 rebounds a game. Thank you very much. It is the Lauren Gustin portion of the show now. We are live in Studio B with your day-to-day -day BYU sports play-by-play. Jerem Jordan one-on-one -on -one with the nation's top rebounder, Lauren Gustin now. Always great to have Lauren in studio. How you doing, Lauren? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, did you make it through Snowmageddon across yeah, the way from uh, the annex? It's crazy out there today, right? I know. Yeah, I'm, yeah crazy yeah school is going to be interesting today for everybody practice but you guys uh, got to put in that work because you have a huge week uh, yep, with yep. Portland and Gonzaga you certainly have a chance to uh, you know 
make the best seed you can going into Vegas. Mm -hmm. What does this week mean given you have the top two teams in the league coming to Provo? Yeah, um, like you said, it's huge. Um, I think these these two games we've been looking forward to kind of all season, you know, because they were we had them our first conference two games, and I feel like at that time we weren't really prepared and you know kind of really come together yet as a team. So. Um, I think we're excited to be able to play them again, especially at our home and kind of have that advantage and, yeah, hopefully be able to pull off two wins going into the tournament. So It'd be huge. Yeah. Uh, and I expect the crowds to be huge as well. Come out yes. to the Marriott Center yes. Thursday night, uh, 7 o'clock Mountain Time, Saturday at 2 p.m. Mountain Time, both those on BYU TV, of course. Um, that was a weird setup at the beginning of conference play, mm -hmm. by the way. A Saturday and a Monday. Certainly playing on a Monday, unique to BYU. You guys don't practice. Sunday. It doesn't mean you don't like talk and yeah, scheme, yeah. <laughs> but you're not getting out on the court putting up shots. Um, how difficult was that, and how much more prepared do you feel this week, given you are a different team and mm -hmm. you have more days to prepare? Yeah, um, yeah, it definitely was difficult on Sunday. We kind of couldn't really do a whole lot. We walked through some other stuff in the hotel room and uh, went over film, but um, I feel like this week we're definitely a lot more prepared. You know, we've kind of been able to go back and watch our game against them um, at the start of the season and. Uh, be able to kind of reassess what we need to work on and then like you said we have more day more days to um, get ready for them so I feel like we're mentally and physically a lot more prepared. Portland's got uh, one of the best players in the league Alex Fowler mm -hmm. is that a matchup that you sort of look forward to given kind of how similar your games are mm -hmm. that way? Yeah yeah she's a great player really smart um, really physical uh, knows the game super well so um, you know she's also very humble and um, she works hard so it's fun to play against someone you know that's um, just really, really puts in the work. So I'm excited. She's a, she's a great player. So an Australian that didn't go to St. Mary's, yeah. uh, one of the rare <laughs> ones in the league. Um, with a player like that and, uh, and other players, mm -hmm. are you talking during the game with opponents? Like some players do, some mm -hmm. players don't. What, what are you like? Um, I wish I could talk trash, but oh, I, I'm not even talking trash. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, saying talking. Just in general, like yeah. I wish I could. Um, but I definitely, I feel like I'm during the game. I guess so locked into like what I need to do that I can't even like talk a whole lot so I mean I'm talking with my girls but um not really a whole lot of conversation with other players sometimes on the free throw line we'll just chat about you know like little small things here but nothing really crazy is it always game centric um is it ever non get like a funny thing like oh yeah. did you see that um sometimes we'll talk sometimes I'll get weird questions like about BYU like on the free throw line like, from the opponent yeah yeah <laughs> Just like questions and things they have about BYU, like can you swear here and just stuff like that, just funny like <laughs> random things. You're like, but... yes, don't get caught. Uh, yeah, um, just funny things like that. What else do they ask you? Uh, they ask me if I like BYU. Um, You're like, no, I hate it. Yeah, I know. I'm like, yeah, yeah. and uh, just kind of like the weather and just random things here and there, like yeah. you know where we get our shoes or. Um, uh, just like my favorite thing about camp is just weird stuff like that, like mid free throw line, but it's yeah. always fun, good conversation. Does but. that ever break up sort of the focus there? Because you seem like mm -hmm. you said you're focused. You're like, I'm just trying to get a rebound here. I don't want to talk yeah, about yeah. my <laughs> Nike, whatever. Um, I think if anything, it kind of like, uh, like relaxes me a little bit just yeah. because sometimes I do get so like uh, focused that I'm kind of not really not necessarily not enjoying, but I'm so dialed in that I can't really like breathe for a second. So when like someone asks me a question like that, it's kind of just makes me realize like, oh, we're playing a game. Like, yeah, yeah. So. you forget sometimes. Right? Yeah. We're talking with Lauren Gusson on BYU Sports Nation. Who on the team is the person who, yes, they're still focused, but they are sort of having fun with sort of conversational or, or funny and they get, mm -hmm. who on the team is sort of that person? Yeah. Um, I think what's, what's uh, fun about our team is a lot of girls are like that. Like, a lot of us are, you know, having a good time laughing, um, but then 
when the lights come on, like, you know, we're dialed in. I think Smiler's a good example. She's always, like, dancing and having a good time, but then she can focus up real quick and get, you know, really dialed in. Um, but I think that's one thing I really like about our team is all of us kind of um, can have that fun time and um, but also be able to be dialed in when it's time to go, so. I feel like Kaylee Smiler could be the Jamal Williams. Uh, yeah. <laughs> BYU Women's Basketball yeah. Team, given her ability to dance, which mm -hmm. we saw in her debut. Oh, 100%, yeah. No, she's a, she's a great dancer. <laughs> she's always in the weight room, too. We're always listening to music, and she's always just, you know, throwing in little moves here and there between yeah. sets, so. It's fun to have two Kiwis on the team. Mm -hmm. There have been a few over the years. Yeah. Shalee Salmon comes to mind, among others. Um, how does... How does kind of their New Zealand and specifically Maori culture, does that ever mm -hmm. uh, make its way onto the court with the team in any way, in your opinion? Because we kind of saw mm -hmm. that in Kaylee's Deep Blue, what her Maori culture means to her. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think just everything that Smiler stands for in general um, just kind of She's shows. She's Smiler to you guys? Yeah, yeah we yeah. call her Smiler. Yeah, Kaylee Smiler, yeah. Um, I think just kind of shows uh, through her personality. Um, she's very... Um, She's a, she, I feel like she carries her culture very well, and so she's always like, a, it's, it's fun and a great example to kind of listen to and um, learn things from her. So uh, her and Ari are both um, super, super great people to be around. So yeah, I would say their culture carries for sure. It's, it's fun to be able to have different cultures and um, you know people from different countries and stuff kind of come together. So Yeah, on the women's team, it's uh -huh. New Zealand. On the men's team, there's three players from Africa. Yeah. So it's cool to have those different <laughs> yeah. cultures and customs and uh -huh. languages, which is fun. Um, we buried the lead here, but congratulations on setting the Thank single you. season record in the WCC in rebounding. What did Thank that mean you. to you? Um, I think, I mean, it's a great, great honor. Um, fortunately, couldn't pull out the win, you know, the day that <laughs> things happen like that. So, um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. It's, it's been, it's been fun to, you know, be able to play in the WCC and be able to get that, you know, our last year being here. So. Did you, before the season, have any specific goals relative to rebounding? Because certainly mm -hmm. you've been an awesome rebounder before. You've taken a step forward. Was there a uh, sort of a written goal for you this year mm -hmm. to kind of take that next step, or is this a natural evolution? Um, I would say uh, the start of this year, um, Coach Amber had us all kind of write our own personal goals. Um, and one of them for sure was uh, average double-double and to be in the top, um, in top rebounder. So I didn't necessarily have like one or two in the top, you know, as far as like listing, but I knew I wanted to kind of be up there. Um, so I think that, you know, it's, it's going, you know, good so far, but I just gotta keep it up and just wanna get wins at the end of the day, so. If, is, if there's ever a game where you don't have like 15 rebounds or something, <laughs> are you disappointed or do you look and go, oh, we shot 50%, there were fewer, yeah. there were f or the other team made some shots yeah. or whatever. I mean, if we're shooting well, then I'm happy, you know, just whatever that takes, but, um, yeah, I mean, some games when both teams are making, you know, a lot of shots, it's it's definitely harder to get boards. But um, if we're shooting well, I'm, I'm happy with it. So You're 23 rebounds away from the single-season BYU record, which was set by all-timer oh. Tina Gunn-Robison in 1979 and 80. Uh, she's walking around campus, so is Danny Ainge at that point. That's oh. how long it's been. 23 rebounds. Um, what would that mean? What will that mean to you when you break that record, perhaps Thursday night or it oh. seems like Saturday? Yeah. Um, well, she's a legend. I feel like she, you know, carries all sorts of records around here. So it's great to be able to compete against um, someone like that for, you know, a record. Uh, I think, you know, breaking out will be exciting. Um, you know, definitely uh, a big accomplishment. But Okay. Uh, in your Deep Blue, which we're going to air uh -huh. later in the show, yeah. and uh, it came out yesterday, your dad kind of talks about, well, to get in some of the young games uh -huh. with your older brothers and your sister and whatnot, um, 
you had to rebound. That was the thing yeah. you had to do. Is that where it started for you? Where rebounding sort of became a, a thing that you did well? Yeah, I would say I think that was like one of the only really ways that I could kind of get in there and compete with them. <laughs> so I kind of had to. Um, so I think at that age, I kind of grew a love for um, just rebounding and trying to contribute in ways that I could to be able to get on the court. And in the deep blue, as you'll see, you've been on quite the journey. Multiple high schools, multiple state titles, mm -hmm. uh, Idaho, Salt Lake Community College, BYU. What has it kind of taken for you to get to this point in terms of the adversity you've overcome to get to where you are? Because I think people mm -hmm. maybe look and they go, oh, the, the leading rebounder. Life's maybe been easy for mm -hmm. It's been nothing but it yeah. feels like. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely been you know, up and down, you know, and there's been times where you know, I was close to giving up and then you know, kind of kept going and um, a whole kind of array of journey that I went through. So I think all those different steps kind of you know, made me who I am today and kind of made me appreciate things more and want to you know, work harder and fight for things more just because I know that it did take me you know, a couple different directions to get where I am. Um, but I wouldn't you know, change it for you know, really anything because I feel like if I went straight from um, high school straight to BYU, um, I don't know if I would you know, maybe have the same work ethic or drive or um, kind of motivation behind that. And when you say, um, you know, maybe maybe would have given up, like not play college basketball? Was that an option yeah. at some point? Yeah, no, definitely. Mentally? Yeah, after um, Idaho before, so like I was in a tough spot where I didn't know if, you know, if I wanted to continue playing or at that point, you know, because this is before the, the, the transfer portal was a thing or any of that. So um, I was kind of in a weird situation because it was, you know, end of you know end of semester like I couldn't just go to another D1 and I couldn't really even talk to other schools at that point either because of all the NCAA rules and stuff so I was put in like a really weird position of do I just want to you know go home and finish the semester just online and then figure out if I wanted to play after that or just go straight to you know JUCO and try to grind that out and figure out from there where to go so and you end up going to Salt Lake mm -hmm. Community College and you mentioned in the D Blue you were offered even before the, before the season started mm -hmm. yeah you did like Spencer Johnson went through something similar, but he had to sort of earn his mm -hmm. way into something. Did that give you the confidence to play any different knowing, oh, BYU still wants me. Like mm -hmm. I'm still wanted at a high level. Yeah, I think it definitely gave me some confidence um, going into this, that season, just, you know, knowing that, you know, I was still wanted by other schools and just kind of helped me find out like, yeah, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like this is kind of who I am, you know, um, and that slick was just, you know, it was part of the part of the path they get to BYU so it also kind of helped me play more relaxed and not like oh I and you know I need to prove myself to to these schools that you know I'm worthy to go back to D1 so yeah I can imagine getting that before the scenes like mm -hmm. oh okay yeah uh, I'm gonna be all right yeah it's gonna be okay <laughs> now what and part of what's been so enjoyable about sort of the deep uh, deep blue is humanizing athletes mm -hmm. we I think we kind of act like once you get to a point of success like everything's good you're not dealing with anything mm -hmm. anymore which is not true you're still dealing with different things or similar things. You're just sort of suppressing that in mm -hmm. some way maybe or overcoming. What are you still kind of uh, battling against to be, still be the leading rebounder in the country? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I definitely, I mean, I get, I get anxious before games, nervous. You know, I think that's definitely normal. Um, but I think also just trying to, you know, um, deal with, you know, everything outside of life too, you know, your social life and, you know, everything. Um, spiritual and mental and physical and all that stuff uh, just trying to have a good balance um, and trying to have like a healthy balance I feel like not trying to put too much into one thing um, but I think you know that's definitely something that a lot of you know athletes deal with is just trying to balance life um, and then I think sometimes too just um, having like time for just like myself where I can kind of 
uh, decompress and whatnot. And I think that's where the weight room comes in uh, huge for me, just because that is kind of an outlet where I can um, relax and decompress because, you know, your mind's always going with, you know, game plans and basketball and, you know, what school assignments you got to get in. Oh, by the way, school. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, yeah for so, um, yeah, but I mean, luckily, and with BYU having, you know, all the resources we have around me and, and having teammates that go through the same thing and having great coaches to like call and, you know, talk to all the time about really anything um, has been such a big blessing here. So word of advice sounds like find a decompression thing <laughs> that helps you get better at something you're good at already because the weight room mm -hmm. being a decompression thing and not a sort of I don't want that yeah that probably helps a ton I'd imagine because mm -hmm. for some people I guess for me I'm thinking what's my decompression thing? like watching tv mm -hmm. or movies or reading a book mm -hmm. but it'd be helpful if I was like practicing broadcasting yeah yeah some <laughs> well sometimes sometimes it's um not the best decompress because I want to go like hard but my body like like I'm you know exhausted or tired yeah. and so sometimes I can't really get the most out of it that I want at that moment but mm. I have to like you know be patient and be like you know I'm sore from you know practice and games and stuff so yeah it so it's not always like yay the yeah because it's not it, gotcha. it, it always it's sometimes it's not the smartest thing for me to go if you know if I'm not feeling good but like that's what I want to do just because that is a decompression for me but sometimes I gotta try to be smart about it but that wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear and catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio